Welcome to Slime House, a podcast rated PG for crude humor, outrageous hijinks, and mild language. I'm Dorothy. I'm Jasper. I'm Jared. I'm Max. And I'm Nelson. And today we have a very special birthday pick episode. Dorothy is as close as you can get to being a Slime House host. So stoked to have you on for this, Dorothy. What did you pick for us to watch today? I picked Huey's Big Adventure, which has been a favorite of mine for probably a decade now. I love it so much. Actually, I didn't grow up with it. I watched Pee Wee's Playhouse a lot because I had some VHS tapes I got from like the bargain bin at Big Lots when I was a kid. <laughs> and I watched <laughs> at my dad's house. So I was familiar with Pee Wee that way. But I don't, I think the first time I watched Pee Wee's Big Adventure was with Max around oh, when we wow. met. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize I introduced you to Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Glad it's a that you made a favorite. I love it. it. It can always make me smile. Brothers is proud to present the story of a guy. Good morning. I'm here. And his bike. James Bond kind of stuff. Together for the first time in their first big movie. I meant to do that. I say we kill him. Yeah! I say we let him go. Pee-wee Herman is Pee-wee Herman. Hello! <laughs> In Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Be sure and tell him Large Marge sent ya. <laughs> so Pee-wee's Big Adventure follows the jovial man-child Pee-wee Herman as he gets his beloved vintage bicycle stolen. A very cool bike at that. So he journeys across America to Texas to get his precious wheels back. So Pee-wee's Big Adventure is notable in that it was the directorial debut of Mr. Tim Burton. We've referenced him a lot on this show as sort of a um, influential figure on some Slimehouse. And he did do some work here and there before um, directing this movie. He was an artist in for the original Tron movie back in 1982, but this really put him on the map. It was written by a team including Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman, the SNL legend. And it was shot by Victor J. Kemper, a big 1970s film guy. He worked with John Cassavetes, Elaine May, Bob Raffleson, and Sidney Lumet. He also shot some slimy movies before, such as the Michael Keaton joint Mr. Mom, Hot to Trot, Beethoven, and Jingle All the Way. The last big uh, point for the crew here is this is also the first orchestral score from Danny Elfman. He was more well known for being the frontman of Oingo Boingo up until this point. But this is the first of many collaborations between him and Tim Burton. And really quick, I think it is good to mention that Danny Elfman's score in this movie was prime inspiration for the Slimehouse theme song itself. Yeah, yeah for sure. It was a key pinpoint for uh, when the Greta Russell, who composed our theme music, we went a Danny Elfman vibe. And the, yeah, I think the, the Pee Wee theme is maybe the biggest influence on our theme. Yeah, Greta's the best. Mm-hmm. All full circle. All right, and the cast for this one, actually pretty small. It's so based around the Pee Wee character that really the main actor you have there is just Paul Rubens as Pee Wee Herman and his lead big screen debut as the character. And then uh, you also have E.G. Daly, who does a lot of voice work. She was in Rugrats. She voiced Babe in the sequel to Babe, Babe Pig in the City. And she plays Dottie, his love interest. And then you have Mark Holton as Francis, who's a... A very strange character. I've always been a big fan of his performance in this as Pee-wee's arch nemesis, Francis. 
I'd first like to hear from Dorothy. You got to pick something for your birthday, and this is the one you landed on. So tell us, tell us why, why Peewee, and why now? I'd say I've always been particularly interested in proto-slime, just to see the way, like, how could someone explain where slime came from? And that helps me figure that out. So uh, <laughs> I love Peewee's Big Adventure. It's really funny. It's, a, well, like, it started a lot of cool, absurd comedy um, but also I do feel like it has a lot of Slimehouse prototypes and tropes. Max, since you and Dorothy have kind of shared love with this movie, what was your experience growing up with, with Pee Wee? Uh, my parents were always big fans of the Pee Wee Herman character, big Timber, big fans of like early Tim Burton stuff too. So this movie was one of the like earliest movies I remember being like on constant rotation in the house. It's, I always was very, I found all, there were a couple parts I thought were very scary. And I think that that kind of influenced my lifelong love of horror was like how I was kind <laughs> of like simultaneously like scared of these things, but drawn to them. And yeah, I was a big fan of Pee Wee's Playhouse too. Um, just had a lot of Pee Wee merch, a Pee Wee costume, uh, Pee Wee toys. It was just, I was a, was a big Pee Wee Herman fan. And I think this movie is his, his finest moment if I had to pick one. I'll piggyback off that and say this is a very popular movie in, in my family as well. Growing up, um, Pee-wee was often quoted, especially a lot of the Texas jokes were, were often brought up at, in, at family gatherings. It, rewatching this for this, I, I remembered how kind of scared I was or creeped out at the clown specifically who, you know, is he chains his bike to in the beginning, large Marge uh, with that kind of iconic special effect there. There was definitely some just like, scenes that are etched into my brain that I remember as a kid that was so kind of frightened and disturbed by them. But that said, love Pee-wee, love the just energy that this character brings. I loved Pee-wee's Playhouse also growing up too. That would be another fun episode if we decide to dive into Pee-wee's Playhouse at some point. Not a movie, but but still a very slimy landmark, I think. I want to introduce the canon. I know I have a few different like genres of how I saw movies, but uh, my babysitter Darlene, who I think is just a great name, uh, she introduced me to so many of these type of movies. But I remember she brought over Pee Wee's Big Adventure, and and I didn't really know the show at all. But um, I do remember watching the movie with her, and I do remember it is a scary movie. I mean, I think Large Marge in particular is you know one of the scariest things I've ever like seen as it like it's just such a you know it's it's like the head coming out of the boat in jaws like it's just one of those like you'll never forget the moment you saw it and so um but i remember it's one of those movies that like i might have been a little older when i saw it than it was intended for i but ironically i was still scared by parts of it but i remember really liking it even though it wasn't like a movie that became on repeat in my life because i i don't think my parents have ever seen this movie but i knew it and i hadn't seen it since then and yet i still remembered um, a couple of iconic moments that uh, we'll talk about. And I'm the odd one out here because I don't think I was allowed to rent anything Pee Wee Herman as a kid because of the controversies following Paul Rubens in the 90s, which um, I don't want to get into, but I actually never saw Pee Wee's Big Adventure until like middle school at least. Um, I enjoyed it well enough, but it was nice to revisit it. So as Dorothy mentioned, this is a a proto-slime movie. This came out in 1985, but the Pee-wee character itself kind of predates that. And I think it's worth noting that Pee-wee as a character is played by an adult man, Paul Rubens, but he's such a childlike personality that to me, it feels very, very 
influential on kind of the Slimehouse brand of comedy and a lot of other brands of comedy too, for, but that's for another discussion. Yeah, I think that Pee Wee Herman, I think what makes him such kind of an important character in Slimehouse specifically is that when he started out, he really was mainly, surprisingly, a character targeted towards adults. If you watch, there's like old bootleg recordings of the Pee Wee Herman show, which was the off-Broadway show that he sort of spun the character out of uh, because he was a member of the Groundlings, a sketch comedy group with Phil Hartman. And they sort of came up with this character, Pee Wee Herman together, who the whole thing was supposed to be like, he's very naive and childlike and he hosts like a children's type show. And the Pee Wee Herman show was the Broadway show. If you've watched Pee Wee's Playhouse, you still have a lot of those characters, Cowboy Curtis, for example, Miss Yvonne, uh, Phil Hartman's character, Captain Carl. They all show up in the Pee Wee Herman show, but it's a lot edgier humor. A lot of, a lot of it's based around innuendos and kind of Pee Wee not understanding like sexual innuendos, which you get some of in this movie when he's not getting that like Dottie's coming onto him. But he really, post the Broadway show, really took a lot of the edges off of the character and sort of got him into the character we see in this movie and in Pee Wee's Playhouse. And to me, I think that you really see a lot of influence on Pee Wee in like uh, Jerry Lewis and a lot of those like early slapstick comedians. But Pee Wee, I think, really literalizes the really hones in on the childlike aspect of like Jerry Lewis or even going back to like Charlie Chaplin and old, older than that. He really brings out like literalizes the childishness of it. And despite the fact that he's played by an adult man, it almost feels like even though he's not explicitly a child, like a Clifford type situation where you're seeing an adult man playing a child. And I think that the fact like Pee Wee Herman, I think for all intents and purposes, I would consider to be a child character. Mm -hmm. and not an adult man. And I think that's why this movie still rings as slimy to me, despite only having a few brief appearances by any actual children. We kind of talk about how like a lot of our Slimehouse movies may not have children in leading roles, but have the like kind of man-child character as a substitute that kind of fits the same bill. Yeah, that's definitely a, a Slimehouse trope, like Elf. We see that in Elf. Yeah, and um, I think Pee-wee is like the most literal very emphasis on the child of man child yes. like he's not a man child in the way like adam sandler mm -hmm. or, or is like a kevin james and zookeeper or even the grinch would be he's very much like a like a very excitable child yes but he is a homeowner so yeah he does live his own house which strangely <laughs> but... francis does not so I, like are they is francis a child and peewee is not or are they both <laughs> children like but i will say that his home although he owns it is the house that a kid from a slime house movie would make if they could have their own oh, home. of course maybe the slimiest um, house in cinema history and a huge oh, Rube yeah. goldberg <laughs> machine at the beginning that makes him breakfast but like it's kind of malfunctions and puts the burnt pancake <laughs> from the ceiling. yeah, yeah we, I, think, I think this is the breakfast machine like when i we talk about breakfast machines a lot when i think it's of breakfast machines i think like this is the breakfast machine that comes to mind i even think the little opening song like yes. on the score is titled yes. breakfast machine so it's like them they even gave it the the exact term the exact terminology i think that definitely like i agree with you when you say the original breakfast machine i feel like it probably was the breakfast machine that influenced the rube goldberg machine as a trope in almost any movie like not just slime house that was very much a thing of the 80s i can probably think of a few right here like back to the future what i think is really neat about this breakfast machine that we see here is that it even though this is 10 years before kind of the slime house really hits the mainstream it has that really diy sensibility that we always talk about this we'd see it in home alone 
few years after this. But I think it also even if you look at like Weird Science, which also came out the same year as this, which we looked at in one of our very first episodes, there's still kind of like this homemade sensibility to everything in Pee Wee's house that feels like oh, a kid, a kid could watch this and say, I can do that. In the same way, like you could watch a kid's TV show and, and half the stuff, you know, on those sets are things that like a kid sees and is like, oh, I can do that. You know, so I think that that wish fulfillment too that Pee Wee brings to his, his living style is very, very indicative and influential on the Slimehouse kind of spirit. Yeah, I think even aside from the machine, the house all around is like a slime house dream come true. He has lots of like vintage toys everywhere. He has something I really picked up on is lots of like holiday decorations, all different kinds of holidays. There's like a Santa on the roof and then there's Halloween decorations, like a skeleton and pumpkins and all this. And it's like, I feel like that's a real like kid wish fulfillment is what if like, what if I could decorate and celebrate all the holidays at once, like all the time in my house? And not only that, there also is a, a fireman pool, which I think we last saw in Princess Diaries. Yes, yes. Actually yeah, discussed no. quite a and, length, yeah. And Firehouse Dog. Oh, yeah, yeah which, uh, which of course, like a firehouse pool in the house, like that's prime Slimehouse kids. He committed wish. the cardinal sin of Slimehouse breakfast, though. Which every kid does in a Slimehouse movie, so it makes sense. But he got such a full breakfast of sugary, amazing food and didn't eat, ate a few pieces of cereal, Mr. T cereal, <laughs> off the top of it. And I was like, okay, Speck, I gotta go. <laughs> That's yes, true. I yeah, I did. That is true. I know. The moms always make such a good breakfast in movies, but the kids never have time mm-hmm. to eat mm-hmm. it. Um, or the machine makes it. And- yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Yes, Pee-wee just settled with his branded Mr. T cereal, which I think also a slimy, oh, a slimy very, plug very slimy. in there. Kids yeah. <laughs> love Mr. T. Yeah, yeah and branded, branded sugary cereal. Doesn't get much slimier than that. So yeah, I think the whole movie, I think, yeah, is slimy, but I think this opening with Pee-wee's house, it's like this I think that's kind the of sea slime house. That like that opening with Pee-wee's house, you can really see like Slimehouse kind of being born with the music, the performance, the the way it looks. Everything just feels like Slimehouse, but it's so much earlier than when we would see like what we would consider prime slime. I think something about 1985 in particular, the movies that were coming out that year, feel like especially like this is how it starts. Like Back to the Future and like even before that, like Ghostbusters are like those are like 80s movies to me that are like real. They're very like heavily sort of like sci-fi or fantasy kind of like sheen to them. Whereas this doesn't feel like that high concept by comparison. This movie feels very timeless to me, I guess is what I'm saying. It doesn't feel like an 80s movie to me at all. It feels like it's very in its own kind of bubble um, compared to everything that was coming out at the time. I agree. Credit that to Burton, I think. I think he just... Yeah. We this isn't the most singular Tim Burton movie, and it, partially because it's his first movie, so he was still kind of like finding that identity. But I think that um, it's cool that yeah, you see a lot of those ideas there. And I wanted to also add, we don't. I mean, we don't often like get into like the you know the name Slime House, but I feel like we do talk about how like suburbia and like that type of location was really key to the genre. And even like I often bring up like the bikes as a big part of it. But we've got a character who like lives in a you know suburbia even though it's obviously like a fictional suburbia where you have like a man child who lives by himself or whatever but still a suburbia where you can like bike to the main street and go to like the magic shop and the bike store and just all that feels so so fantastical in a really subtle way that feels like kind of the values of slime house 
being presented. Yeah, it's a very like old school kind of like main street, like a very storybook kind of. I mean, it reminded me, I think that Cat in the Hat very obviously yeah. has a lot of Burton-esque that builds. And I think that the Oak, like very colorful suburbia and then this like stylized, but like wholesome Americana of downtown. I think that's very influential on Slimehouse. And I think Tim Burton, you see that in Edward Scissorhands as well, but you see it in a more comedic context here. And I think that that's a huge contribution of his to Slimehouse. I mentioned this on our Matilda episode, but there's a kind of subgenre that I'm very fascinated in that I've deemed mutant Americana. That is the, you know, these very stylized kind of campy, depictions of kind of the post-war suburb Um, and it kind of started you know with John Waters in the 70s and then I think Burton was the big champion of it in the 80s and I think in the 90s is when you see Slimehouse like really evolve into this kind of just like zany crazy imaginary picture of what suburban life in America is and what it you know can be you know how do we make the suburbs fun I think this movie is as you were saying Max and Nelson like I think bar none one of the most influential movies and really bringing that style to to the forefront in a lot of kind of more mainstream movies and then with that in mind it's not really a trope heavy movie in my opinion like it's not a movie that you see a lot of movies like steal specific jokes from but i think that the the spirit and mind you this is before home alone so and this is kind of before john hughes sort of championed the like you know young voices or whatever so i feel like we're still early enough where, like, yeah, you can have a movie without kids, but does feel like it's a mold for what kids' movies were. And so I, I feel like that, to me, feels like a very proto-slime movie. It's like, in if this remained in the 90s, it probably would have a main character kid. But at this point, it's still the kind of the man-child with, like, you know, funny props and, like, things, subtle things like that. Not as tropey, but definitely, like, the spirit of it. Well, the second act of this movie it takes us from the suburbs to the country, and it's a road. It becomes like a road trip movie, and I feel like that was a big thing in the '80s. Kind of like these like Americana road trip movies. Like I'm thinking yeah. Rain Man. I'm thinking Paris, Texas. Yeah. Um, National Lampoon Vacation. Yes, yes. There you go. Yeah. So I feel like there was. I don't know if that's just like weird reaction to like the Reagan era or something, but like I feel like that was something unique to the '80s in my mind, and. I think this is like the first time we've seen that in like a proto slime film, if you will. There are some slime house movies that tap into that, like Are We There Yet? The Ice Cube movie. RV. Yeah, that's another one. And then the third act of this movie, you could argue, is uh, it actually reminded me a lot of Big Fat Liar because, like, it, yeah. just the third act of this movie alone is like the plot of Big Fat Liar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, literally, I was thinking that it literally is. It's like he gets something stolen, like, by it's, it's in a studio. There's a big chase. It's like literally they made, like, yeah, literally the same thing. I think, but yeah, I like that you mentioned that about the road trip because kind of tying that back to Jasper's kind of like mutant Americana idea. I feel like this kind of takes the mutant Americana, like, out of just the suburb where we've kind of seen it before and kind of applies it to like the the US in general because you see on this road trip you see him at all these sorts of like very general like Americana roadside kitsch you see him with the dinosaurs that are in the very famous like on the way to Palm Springs I think it is uh, yeah the Cavazon yeah. dinosaurs yeah you see the, the, those which are, I think are very like colorful slimy you see a lot of diners you see like a motorcycle bar you see truckers it's very like a very stereotypical like version of Americana that you don't see in like a 
Bob Hope being Crosby like road movie, but with like a lot of weird stuff, like kitschy stuff brought in with the dinosaurs and he brings the big shoes into the, the motorcycle yeah. bar, which is I think one of the better scenes, the funnier scenes in the movie. And so, yeah, the kind of, it's like a very Burton esque. And also even more than that, I think this like, you see not only Burton's vision in this, you also see like Paul Rubin's vision of Pee Wee. So it's a little bit more childlike and innocent than I feel like Tim Burton would go on to be in a lot of his work, especially his eighties work where he has kind of a darker, more cynical touch on a lot of stuff. But I think that this movie really like brings their vision of like Americana to the screen. And I think that that's something I really like about the movie and that I think proves influential on Slimehouse going forward. I feel like this like Americana thing is really important to the movie. And also something that doesn't happen anymore, like post 9-11, which is like depicting America as this super culturally rich place where each state has their own identity and it's all about you know the roadside stuff like route 66 type stuff i don't even know if they made that clear but you know what i'm saying yeah it's a very route 66 like i used to be really into reading these like old route 66 guidebooks and stuff and i feel like this movie has like strong vibes of like those books which i like about it yeah yeah it it reminds me a lot of growing up and going on road trips through like arizona new mexico utah i'm sure jared you might have done this too growing up in southern california and you know stopping by a lot of these attractions that were kind of on their last legs especially in the like mid thousands like you could tell they had seen better days so this is one of those movies that you know it's like this loving ode to even though these were you know their peak was in like the 50s and 60s when you know interstate travel was was the way to go it has this loving kind of like gaze towards these these kitschy personalities of 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 the american culture yeah and then on top of that, like, there's something about the relationship with Pee-wee Bonds during this midsection of the movie, which I didn't think was... I felt it, if we were to look at, like, the first act of, like, the Mutant Americana and then the last act of the kind of, like, Hollywood satire stuff in the middle, I feel like that's the least slimy part of the movie. But I actually thought it was actually a little nice core in how some of these uh, friendships that he builds, like, with the... He's temporarily looking for a job at one point in the movie, and he befriends this, um, I think, like, a waitress or, like, a manager of a restaurant who like wants to go to Paris and something about their interactions together where like she finally feels encouraged to go take a bus to get on a flight to Paris and live there. And then I think one the probably most famous scene in the movie is taking place at a bar in Texas where he gets into an altercation with this group of uh, bikers and then it's all resolved by his uh, wacky dance moves it's to tequila. Yes, tequila. But, some, but something about how he like eventually like comes to understanding with those fellas and um, I feel like just all that it reminded me of a trope we talk about sometimes, which is like adults learning lessons from a kid or a proxy for a kid in this case. But like we're talking about, this movie feels like very before Burton kind of honed in on this kind of darker energy by it almost has this kind of weird wholesomeness to it. You don't expect. Yeah. Going off what you're saying, Jared, I, it, it's funny that you bring up that there really isn't like a, a, a villain in this movie. I mean, there's Francis per se, but to me, what, what makes this movie really shine is that, you know, Pee Wee, has just an inherent goodness and he sees the best in everything and there's this optimism and there's no sense of critique towards anybody you know he can bring out a smile in anyone and just get through any situation with a smile on his face and a laugh afterwards you know and i think that that's just so endearing and very of the slime house kind of ethos per se that you know if you take that childlike personality and that childlike wonder and apply it to life like life's fun you know 
don't follow the rules too close. Pee-wee just marches to the beat of his own drum. And like, what else do you want to do when you're a kid other than just, you know, march to the beat of your own drum and make everyone happy? And I think that to me, that is what is the most slimy bit of this movie is that, you know, if you if you are yourself, if you are unique, you can do anything. Yeah, it's and kind it, of like an underdog story, which I think is very slimy in that Pee-wee, like, he solves all his problems through, like, his his innocence or his naivety, but, like, it's not like he's made fun of for any of that. It's presented, this movie's kind of like a beacon about, like, how his, in a, like the, the powers of, like, being innocent and childlike, like, cause in the end, it makes him a hero. They make a blockbuster movie about him, and, like, everything he does <laughs> is pretty much just out of his own, like, kindness because of his just sort of, like, innocence and very pure vision of the world. But what I feel like makes this movie proto-slime and, well, obviously other than time, um, is that Although those lessons are shown, it's not as clearly put as it is for like a primarily children's movie. Like, and he doesn't seem to really learn his lesson. He's just like, "Oh, I have my bike back! Yay!" And there's you know, more. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that's something I really like about the character of Pee-wee. That I don't know if it's particularly Sami, but I find very funny. Is they're not afraid to make him like very petulant and like kind of just like an asshole some of the time. Especially in the beginning when like he's lost his bike, he's just being like very rude to Dottie and like when she's like trying to like come on to him which also reminded me of Good Burger in a lot of ways sort of Ed's like mm. a lot of times with Pee Wee talking to girls reminded me a lot of Ed's interaction with women in Good Burger where mm -hmm. they're just like completely unable to see like himself as a romantic object <laughs> yeah I think I, I like that they have Pee Wee like at the beginning when he's like how are you going to pay that? He's putting up things with a like wanted signs and he has a reward and she's like, how are you going to pay the reward? And he's like, I'm not because whoever returns, it's going to be the person that stole it. And like <laughs> eating in the basement where he just becomes like increasingly deranged and it's just throwing out <laughs> accusations. And it's just like, yeah, I like that. They're not afraid. Like even though Pee Wee is a character that solves everything through like his niceness and pureness he still at times can be like very petulant much like a child can and i think that's what makes him like he can be kind of a brat and i like that about the character with that that's kind of one of the ways it's not very slime house is that i think that slime house and you know obviously we are defenders of the genre but it does sometimes kind of talk down to kids you know at times with like its messages and stuff and i feel like this movie it, it, maybe because it's not really made for kids it, I I could be vague on this one. Maybe it's just because it's a it's a four quadrant movie, but uh, you know it doesn't feel like trying to give Pee Wee a lesson or trying to like tell kids you know stay in school or you know lock your bike or whatever it's trying to get out of them. It it just feels like it's more of like a pure unbridled adventure, which I think speaks to just like Burton as a director and then the writing team knowing that like they're not trying to like do what kids movies need to do, and I think that yeah they don't like pander down to them it's interesting that you say this is a four quadrant movie because when i was watching this i was actively thinking like how was this marketed in 1985 like right. was this yeah, i was thinking towards... the exact same thing because it's like until fairly recently even though i've like been a big fan of peewee i didn't really know like the timeline of stuff and i always kind of assumed this was a spin-off of peewee's playhouse the tv show when i was a kid and i thought that like he was already a well-known character to children before this movie came out so it's like yeah, when I learned that this movie was like the introduction to Pee Wee Herman for most people, and that before this, he'd only appeared in like a Cheech and Chong movie and on like Letterman and stuff. Like this was a character that if anyone was familiar with, it would be adults. So yeah, I was curious too as to like 
who this movie was like aimed towards when it was released because like a kid can watch it it's a pretty innocent movie aside from some innuendos and like some scary stuff like we talked about but like Pee Wee Herman was an adult character, not a kid's character at this time. So it's like, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to think about. And yeah, because I remember seeing the DVD cover when I saw it, and like I thought it was like I thought he was a character like Barney. Like I thought it was literally like a children's thing, as a little bit of like Mister Rogers, but like cranked out onto you know children's mode, where you know he's got a goofy house and he just kind of acts very childish or whatever. But I don't think I think somehow this movie went bigger or yeah spoke to people beyond it was it was clearly not for young children which is interesting you say that too because when i was watching this to me i was like i don't i don't see how this could be marketed towards adults Mm -hmm. this movie does not feel by any like if my parents saw this trailer they'd be like oh that looks kind of weird my dad especially loves this movie it's one of his all-time favorites but like really this Hmm. to me is like a kid's movie through and through not not like five and six year olds but like elementary school kids i i really find it hard to like see especially in the time when movies like weird science the breakfast club like the all the hughes stuff was really popular like teens wanting to go to this movie you know but this was a hit too at the same time so it's like i'm just very curious you know what the demographic was and i know like when it came out reception wise it got a pretty mixed reception i know gene siskel really hated this movie and thought it was just like super obnoxious and shrill and like saccharine which i don't see at all but like i feel like it's something that like when advertised that's very much how it could come off just because of how childish the character is but yeah i'd be i'm I'm curious i'm gonna look this up about some of the early advertising I've watched that Gene Siskel review and he says something in the beginning like, I really like Pee-wee as a character from his previous TV incarnations, but I hate this movie. And the way we're framing like the history of Pee-wee as being like a Cheech and Chong character before this, maybe the answer to this question is like, it's it's like if they made a movie about an SNL character, like, you know, something like Wayne's World where you know people thought that like the movie was going to be exactly like the skits they were familiar with, but this movie kind of represents a a change of course for like that character's kind of sensibilities of humor maybe maybe another comparison too is like the nightmare before christmas also burton where like that movie is really hard to peg as well because it's it's a pretty scary movie but it's also like an animated movie for kids so it's and it, which also was another movie darlene showed me so clearly she was a burton head but um i don't know yeah i think we just Maybe we're really narrow on our idea of how what movies are marketed like too, because of like how cynical things are nowadays. But maybe, maybe people are just open to like kind of something a little zany and that kind of novelty of like a man child. Yeah, I mean, it feels very like old, kind of like an old school comedy to me too. In a lot of ways, I've already mentioned I think earlier like Jerry Lewis and like Bob Hope and Bing Crosby movies. Like it, it kind of reminds me of those in a lot of ways, just in like sort of the slapstick innocence and like putting this wacky character up against like a bunch of suits in the studio scenes in particular at the end felt very old school to me so i could see maybe how people that remember that stuff as a kid would have enjoyed it like remember watching those movies because i know they aired those on tv a lot so like a lot of people probably were in their 20s or 30s or new parents at the time probably would have a, a fondness for this movie but yeah I'd be curious to ask someone, like, if, if you saw this movie as an adult, like, when it came out, what drew you to it? What did you, like, think was the appeal to it? And did you like it? Because it's just like, I love this movie, and most people I know love this movie, but it seems like a hard sell now if it came yeah. out, and it's just hard for me to imagine this movie 
being the hit it was when it came out. Something about maybe it's just because Danny Elfman scored the movie, but I can see someone like it feels almost like a new wave, like the, the music genre new wave. It feels like it could be like sort of a poster movie for that, where someone who's really into Oingo Boingo or Talking Heads or something. Which you know. were two of my dad's favorite bands at the time. Yeah, yeah. this this movie actually has a lot of similarities <laughs> to David Byrne's like direct. Yeah, someone who's really into David like Byrne and like and even mm-hmm. like stop making sense. Like he's wearing a big suit like Pee Wee. I feel like there's something about that aesthetic. Yeah, I think there was like a bigger market for sort of like weirdo humor. Like, I don't know how else to say it like back then. I feel like a lot of the early SNL and stuff, just sort of like absurd character comedy at the time that there really isn't as much for here, at least aimed towards adults. Hello, Dottie. It's me, Pee-wee. Where are you calling from? Texas. Where? Honest. Listen, I'll prove it. The stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. <laughs> Wait, don't hang up. A movie that we haven't actually watched yet that I think is a kind of an apt comparison is The Master of Disguise. It's a very, like, movie built around a character also an SNL alum, like really just going in on this one character. And to me, both of those movies kind of have the same tone. The Master of Disguise is loony, even loonier than this, obviously. But it feels like that is a good modern reference of like maybe how Pee-wee's Big Adventure was marketed and like Mm -hmm. the same kind of audience that like really was clamoring to see master of disguise which i'm sure all of us on this show were it feels like that is kind of what peewee's big adventure was kind of trying to do but did it much better and more successfully (laughs) i can still quote like five things from the master of disguise trailer because it was on every moment but it's funny because yeah i did watch master of disguise with uh, adults so you know they must have thought it was going to be worth something you know to watch it i specifically remember my piano teacher i because i memorized x amount of songs she took me to a movie and she said oh well we can go see that new dana carvey movie like she was very excited because it was like a oh dana carvey like it's like this character that he's doing it'll be fun so yeah i can see i can see adults also being like oh Wee herman <laughs> that guy like from letterman and then she goes He's going to be a master of piano. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. He's going to be a master of piano. <laughs> I mean, I feel like the reason why it was appealing to adults was a combination of what Max and Jared said. Jared and that, I feel like that's why it can't be purely a kid's movie is because it was, or like a Slimehouse movie purely because Slimehouse is all about made for kids. But uh, I feel like it was kind of an appeal to like alt alternative parents that liked stuff like Tim Burton-y stuff before Tim Burton was Tim Burton, you know. There's that whole subset of parents who wanted their kids to be into, like, Mr. T, Pee-wee, and, like, Cindy Lauper, WWE, that, like, whole era in the mid-'80s. The same type of people who are very into, like, kitsch, I feel like. And I feel like also part of that is, like, what Max was saying about, I see where Jasper's coming about not being able to see it be uh, made for anybody but children, but I feel like the fact that it was, like, a kind of a throwback comedy where... Not to sound like stupid, but it doesn't need to be like adult humor and stuff to be like a Jerry Lewis type, like wholesome adventure, slapstick, ridiculous, absurd comedy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I also think that because this 
predates Slimehouse so significantly that maybe a lot of the stuff that we see in this and think like, oh, kids movie, Slimehouse, wasn't necessarily something we'd seen repeated, like ad nauseum in kids movies. Like maybe these were gags that weren't as common that like, mm. like this was the first time they had been used in modern film, like yeah. so mainstream. Cause a lot of mm-hmm. it, like I said, is drawn from like cartoons and stuff like that. Like yeah. a very old school movie that I think we've seen those jokes reused and recycled in a lot of kids stuff. So we see them in that kids movie, but when they were here, that wasn't necessarily. And there's cartoons in this movie too, which I think is really neat. You know, I mean, it's stop motion animation. Yeah. Which some Those are some of my favorite parts of this movie too. And as a, as a kid really captured my imagination. Back in that day, uh, I feel like a lot of kids' movies were like Snow White, Bambi. Like, I know that seems like way before that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, that was a recent, if not, be almost began with Pee-wee, like what Max said. Like, I feel like it's not, that made me think about it. Like, it's crazy how much impact that probably had. This movie definitely isn't edgy in its humor by any means, but I could see it being like an edgy movie when it came out and just how weird and like out there it was with a lot of like the twisted clowns and the large marge scene and stuff it's a an odd movie for sure which i think probably made it be like you got to see this crazy movie i went to see Wee's big adventure yeah a movie that in in our lifetimes that i remember that feeling was napoleon dynamite a different very different you know sense of humor and and style but the same kind of absurdist, kind of left field sensibility, campy, colorful, kind of hearkening back. Whereas Napoleon Dynamite kind of references a lot of 80s culture. I feel like Pee Wee Herman references a lot of 50s and 60s culture. Very kind of similar in what they were doing. And I think a lot of the adults in my life growing up who loved Napoleon Dynamite, I know also really liked Pee Wee. So I think it's a, a kind of an apt kind of parallel there. That's a good point of reference of like the the oddballness of it, you know, is what helped it cross over. And there's another kind of niche that I think this appeals to that actually makes sense with your dad, Jasper. And that's at the very beginning, he goes to a trick shop or a magic shop. Ah. And as a kid, so I always loved in Harry Potter, like the, the Weasley twins had their joke shop or magic shop. And I, like, I always just was so like, I wished that was a real thing, but like, it, it wasn't really in my life. Like, there wasn't really a place to go get those gags. And also, there wasn't really, like, a ready audience for those types of gags. But in a movie, of course, like, you, like I almost fell out of my chair laughing when he, like, has the door knocker trick, you know? And, like, don't you just kind of wish, like... It just made me kind of wish, like, tricks were more a part of, like, everyday life. And I think that for people like magicians or a certain type of kid really gravitated toward, like fun practical gags even when he hitchhikes he has a fake thumb you know i mean like there was like a magic yeah. clock sh- that's called i think the magic clock shop in uh, lexington and it was really hard to go to it's still actually around it was really hard to go to because one guy owned it who fixed clocks but it was also like a magic and trick toy shop um, but he'd only open it whenever he kind of felt like it. So you'd have to be walking downtown and see it open and run in. And I just remember being so enchanted by that. And I think that's something that kids really like for sure. It's called the Magic Clock Shop. Yeah. The old clock shop. Reminds me of Jingle Jangle. <laughs> it has like hand, it has like hand <laughs> puppets in the window and all these like old. Yeah, like that toys. was that was totally a thing that was enchanting and exciting to kids that in it is just lost in the digital era. Yeah, I used to collect like old Archie comics, and I would be obsessed even more with like the comics with like 
more than the comics, I was obsessed with these ads they would have where you could like mail in and get like x-ray goggles or a whoopee yeah. cushion or like Pee-wee is king of those. Sand. Yeah, and like yeah. Uh, yeah, like Pee-wee pulls out all the all the punches on those like comic book back pages type gags, like with the trim mm-hmm. gum that makes like a black goo come out of Francis's mouth and then the aforementioned door knocker. There's a whole scene where it's literally just him going to the magic shop and the guy's listing off all these gags and like yeah. showing them to Pee-wee and it, they're all like a giant head or like a sh- giant ear he can hold up and like all these just like sight gags, which like, yeah, I loved those as a kid and I always wish like, wish like I could mail something from like the 1961 like Archie <laughs> comic and get my x-ray specs. <laughs> it reminds me a little bit of the the famous Nickelodeon magazine uh, commercials oh, yeah. where, you know, a, a lot of those magazines, you know, Nickelodeon magazine, Disney kids, even Mad Magazine, you know, just had that sensibility of like, uh, like it felt like a secret kind of like book like every every month you got like a you know something cool that you could trick your parents or your friends with and even thinking back to the Nickelodeon magazine commercials you know there's like here's a cake that you could bake you know that makes your tongue turn green stuff like that you know it's it's all it's all so so fun and my dad is also a, a, a magician um, hobbyist so I always loved the just magic shop feeling especially going to the disneyland magic shop which is where steve martin actually got his start is it still there this is, I, is it, I, i'm at disneyland so rarely is the magic shop still there i haven't been to disneyland in a while but it was still there the last time i went probably around 10 years ago i thought it disappeared oh. <laughs> uh, the magic yeah. shop is the magic shop is still there. False alarm. <laughs> uh, um, it was drawn and it was gone. I I just want to point out too, really quick. Some of the jokes in this movie are just so well timed. Like they're not necessarily like punchline jokes, but one of my favorites that I just laughed out loud. I totally forgot was when he kind of gets knocked out and is oh, it's has, the am- best. has amnesia. And then he's like, I can't remember my name. Hey, kid, what's your name? I can't remember. Where are you from? I can't remember. Can't you remember anything? I remember the Alamo. (laughs) But then there's just like a hard cut while they're hooting and hollering. And it's like such a perfect cut. It's just like... (laughs) The scene that never fails to make me laugh is the... Uh, like so many scenes in this movie is the tequila dance scene where he oh, borrows yes. the waiter's shoes and he like oh, or the yes. dishwasher's shoes and he like steps down <laughs> it's like <laughs> 10 inches shorter and then uh, just his dance cracks me up how long it goes on you keep expecting it to end he's <laughs> still doing it yeah a line I didn't even remember in that like the comes right before the dance scene is like when all the bikers are mad at him because he knocked over the motorcycles and they're all like kind of taking a vote on like if they're gonna beat him up or whatever, and they're all saying like, "I say we tear him limb to limb," I say we do this, and oh, yeah. says so like he like disguises his voice and it's like, "I say we let him go," and, like, <laughs> and it's like I didn't even know that's so, yeah, that's such like a funny like, like <laughs> yeah, like I love that, and it's like I didn't even remember that. It's just they're such good deliveries in this, and the thing is like, I want to like repeat jokes that like I found funny in the movie, but like you said, Jeff, they're not really punchline jokes. They're so based on like the Pee Wee persona and the Pee Wee voice that like they really only work in the context of the movie. And I think that's kind of what's such a special movie about it is that it's like so gag centric and so mm-hmm. based around like this very distinctive character and personality that it's 
hard to even describe what makes it as funny as it is, but it's like one of the funniest movies that I can think of. And the world itself. I mean, so they're, we're talking about like Texas jokes, but like you can't, you can't, unlike say Napoleon Dynamite where there's a lot of one-liners, like you can't really like one-liner the Texas jokes because they're kind of making fun of like the, the goofy guys and the cowboy hats and the belt buckles around him, you know? And so it's like, that's only funny in the world that's been created by the movie, not just like a stand-up comic. Although I will say that my family always quoted the, there's no basement in the Alamo. (laughs) Whenever somebody said something about a basement, they would say, Uh there's no basement in the Alamo. Like something about the Alamo in this time, like there was also like a big news story, but like, no, Ozzy Osbourne peed on it. Did you guys know about this? <laughs> I've read about that before. Well, I have a question. Is there a basement in the Alamo? I, I don't think there Probably. is. I've been there. Okay. No. I wonder yeah, if I would, that's... I would doubt it. I bet that like every third tourist who goes now is there for Pee Wee, not for... because <laughs> Not because they remember the Alamo. Yeah, I like it. Another just... Uh, I like in the Alamo scene when like he's yeah. telling Simone that... Like, he's like tells she he's like telling her why he's sad and he's like there's no basement in the alamo and she's like oh really and he's like yeah they don't teach you that kind of thing in school and it's like that's just <laughs> it's a, a learned experience a, it's a, yeah it's that's a learned experience. experience yeah it's like it's something oh. you have to experience yeah that's just so you have good. to experience like, it oh. i will call out a uh trope i in this when he's like looking for the bike initially and he files out like a missing a stolen bike report I, th- I think this is partially because, like, this movie, like, was designed by, I think, Burton or the writers as, like, basically, like, the bicycle thief, but different. Like, they were, yeah, like, yeah, legit- they were legitimately uh-huh. inspired by that movie. Yeah, yeah. And even I think they even said it was, like, an absurdist take on, like, bicycle thieves. Yeah. So there's that, but also just, like, we've talked a little bit about the bumbling cops and of slime house and here that's kind of there and it's the closest thing that this movie gets to like being anti-authoritarian i would say but like it's not really like that authority is bad in this movie it's just that it's kind of useless i feel like yeah, like, yeah uh-huh. like he really has to take everything into his own hands is the whole thing like no one will focus on this bike which is a slime house thing in general of like the kids end up having to do it usually because the adults don't believe them or whatever so they have to go kill the monster or whatever you know and and so in a funny way you're right that is like that is a slime house kind of proto element and i mean Um, francis you see a very distinctive like francis and his dad are very like wealthy and he's like my dad can get me whatever i want and peewee just like lives alone in this diy so it's like not quite anti-authoritarian but you do have very much like going up against the man like the little guy fighting back against the man in that peewee francis rivalry I like what you say, Jared, about like, you know, authority is useless because through the eyes of the larger world, Pee Wee's problem is very minute. You know, they get there's I forget what she says, but there's like 100 bikes stolen a year and they only get eight back or something like that. I forget the exact numbers, but to to Pee Wee, they are useless, even though in the grand scheme of things, they're just doing their job. But I think that that's to me what really made this movie a very proto slime movie and that it's it's the problem that is at the center of the movie is something that would be very important to a child and like their bike gets stolen. Whereas like if it was, Oh, I got to go see this girl I'm in love with. Like to me, that's not necessarily slimy because that transcends across any age group. Whereas somebody's bike getting stolen and a pretty wild bike at that, like that's a very childlike problem. And they, a, a kid would find that super important. So I think that that for me is is very much of the Slimehouse ethos. 
Another movie that stole a uh, plot from this is Leave It to Beaver, the 90s movie. I, yep, I, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that, I wrote that down. It reminded me of Leave It to Beaver. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if how direct that was. I want to bring up a, a Burton-specific trope that I, I think is kind of subtle, and that's um, the movie ends with kind of the whole cast gets together to watch his movie, which, which is something we've, we've seen before, I think, where like, yeah, just something, some kind of event brings all the, the kind of uh, ensemble together for some some particular reason, and it, I don't think this movie invented that by any means. But it reminded me so much of Big Fish and the ending of that movie, where we get kind of one last mm-hmm. look at all the kind of eccentric people met along the way. And um, I think Burton does a really good job of like not only introducing you to crazy people in a kind of road movie thing, but then also giving you one last look with with everybody. The the real big adventure is the friends we made along the way. Ah, <laughs> oh, very much. Look at that. Well, I'm really glad that I chose this movie. I've had a really good time talking about it, and I feel like it was really fitting as a blueprint for Slimehouse. Yeah. Also, very good to finally get some Burton in here. I feel like we've talked so yeah, much about like yeah. you, but like I think Burton, you really see him for the first time. I mean, this is his first movie, so obviously for the first time on the big screen, bringing like what I think. He really brought visually to slime is just sort of bringing like the cartoon bridging the gap between like live action and cartoon and i think you see that very much here not only and of course we said it incorporates a lot of stop motion and stuff like that but i think peewee is not only like a very man child character he also is a very cartoonish character i mean i see a lot of similarities to bugs bunny in him as well and like there's a scene where he cross dresses as a disguise that felt very cartoonish to me and i think like you really see tim burton bringing the Car- bridging like cartoon and live action in this and i think tim burton's the pro- a lot of people i think don't realize that he started out working with disney actually so it's interesting to see he brought like his animation experience into the realm of live action and actually didn't work in animation again for quite some time until a lot later in his career let's jump into some slime scores dorothy do you want to kick us off yeah you know what i'm just gonna say i'm gonna give this a nine I'm going to do it. At first, I was like, you know what? Maybe it's not a Slime House movie, but I think it's influential enough that it deserves a legendary nine. Wow. There you go. Um, I could go next, maybe? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I'll admit, like, when we talked about Tim Burton as being this forefather to Slime House, like, in our Pumpkin Slime series last year, I always kind of had this voice in my head saying, is he, though? But after watching this and revisiting it, I'm completely on board with the idea of that, and we'll see more of it. So this is a great choice. Thank you, Dorothy. And and I've said this before, like for proto-slime scores, they're not exactly the same uh, metric as a slime score is. With a slime score, a 10 means like you could watch this and get everything you need to know out of Slime House. And for a proto-slime movie to get a 10 would be like, did this movie completely have an ear to the ground for what Slime House was going to become? Was it a face that launched a thousand ships? And I think it's a movie that launched a hundred ships, but maybe not every Slimehouse movie, I would say. Like, it does feel kind of like, as we talked about, maybe like a more, like, not really something that's like first kids specifically, but like more of a four quadrant movie. And yeah, like for me, a 10 out of 10 proto slime is Home Alone or The Goonies the same year as Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But this is very close to that. And I'm also comfortable giving it a nine. Wow, high score showing. I I think I'm gonna go a little softer, and that has nothing to do with the quality of it, but just because I I feel like 
it's still setting things up and and I, I think yeah i know jared that's something we've like it's always been like an interesting point of discussion of like how do you judge the proto slime movies on on the same metric um i'm gonna go with a six and again that's that's not really like anything to do with the quality of this movie but i think that a lot of the like nitty-gritty slimehouse stuff like comes later and i think that after he leaves his small town we get into something else kind of you know like jared said the middle third of the movie is is um kind of has its own spirit to it i think peewee the character is very slimy i think the hollywood ending i'm actually i am now on board with like hollywood humor as part of the slimehouse canon i wasn't sure it was but like we've seen it so many times yeah it's something about backlots i feel like always rings yeah. me it's like these backlot chases i feel like something that we've seen at least like we've now seen it three times and i don't know if that's like a roger rabbit effect or what but it is something that you see in slimehouse so much yeah so i'm on board with that one um but i think yeah maybe a little soft for me but um i think great choice and glad to yeah get burton on our list and uh six it is I'm gonna go somewhere between that. I would between the two scores. I would give this. I was trying to decide seven or an eight. I think I'll be generous. Go with an eight for it. I think that this movie, as we've said, has like I think Pee Wee the character plants a lot of seeds for slime. I think that the first like ten minutes of this movie are like the earliest example of what I would say is like almost pure slime, not even proto slime. And I think that this movie just has so much of an effect that I've seen on slime. And I think even if it's not exactly a kid's movie as we've kind of discussed a little bit it's like more childlike than say weird science or even monster squad and i think for that like this is maybe the slimiest proto slime movie that we've watched and for that i would give it an eight wow uh this was a very hard one so i'm just gonna go with my gut after i finished this this was a six for me as well i think it's a very important movie in the slime house world though um i think it's if not the most important out of kind of the eighties proto slime movies alongside something like the Goonies, as you mentioned, Jared, I think to me, the slime house sense of humor is a little bit more referential, a little bit more kid focused, um, a little bit more juvenile. Whereas this, whereas the humor in this feels like of a, of a kind of a different spirit that would then mold itself into, you know, kind of like the, the anarchaic kid humor that we'd see in later slime house. Visually, though, that first opening scene, though, that's slime to a T. But as Nelson said, that the kind of second act with the road movie, that feels like it's kind of its own thing. So, yeah, a six for me. But this movie holds a very special place in my heart. And I, I do think it's it's a very, very important movie for the Slimehouse trajectory. So that was Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Uh, and happy birthday to Dorothy. Thank and, you so uh, much. And now we have a very special back-to-back birthday picks um, with with Max's birthday, our final. Now we've gone all the way around the bellhorn. So, mm-hmm. our, which our this one birthday. is an actual mystery. So I'm looking forward to hearing all the the guesses. Yeah. Does Does Dorothy know your birthday pick? Yeah, Dorothy knows, okay. but okay. Uh, the rest of you can all be um, a guess. My guess is uh, I, I did some research. I looked at your uh, top Slimehouse movies from the original Slimehouse list. And one of the highest ranked ones that you have that we have not covered is Babe Pig in the City. So that is my guess. Jasper and I actually had the same choice. And it's a movie I watched recently before it went away on HBO Max. And I know it's a movie you're fond of. And it would make a great episode if we 
it, you know, if we don't cover it now, we'll cover it later, yeah. I'm sure. But Clifford. Yeah. All right. So very good guesses, but um, none of like the, 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 the were actually those were movies I considered strongly, particularly Clifford was actually my choice for a long time. But this is actually a, a favorite of mine that I only saw quite recently. It's actually has a lot of similarities to Pee Wee's Big Adventure in some ways. And actually, I have a, a hat to put on for my reveal, like an athlete on signing day. <laughs> and it is Cabin Boy starring Chris Elliott. I've never oh, realized. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I wanted. I yeah, I wanted to wanted to go obscure for the for my birthday pick because I thought Clifford we'd probably get around to, Babe we'd probably get around to, but I wanted to throw a a wrench in it. So very much looking forward to one of my favorite comedy movies, Dang. Uh, Cabin Boy. So I can't <laughs> say I have ever heard of this movie. So yeah. well, I'm excited for you all to see it and hear what you all have to say about it yeah it's a four and a half on the uh, max score so. <laughs> sweet <laughs> yeah all right good uh curveball as they mm-hmm. should be so, uh, um, yeah glad i glad i could glad i could surprise you all but clifford was my choice for quite some time but i did yeah. decide to switch it up uh-huh. but sweet. also looking forward to clifford at one point and with that dorothy thank you as always for joining us and a happy happy birthday as well Thank you so much. Um, hope you celebrate with some with some slime, sugary slime desserts or something. Yeah, of course, definitely will. I have some pretty slimy dessert waiting for me in my fridge. So. Oh, nice. Remember the Alamo and stay slimy. Slime House, a podcast created by Jared Anderson. Jasper Birnbaum, Max Morris, and H. Nelson Tracy. If you like this episode, you can find more fun on slimehousepod.com. Our website is created by Brian Hume of Valencia Creative Company. Our theme music, composed by Greta Russell. Support this podcast at anchor.fm slash slimehousepod or by following us on social media at slimehousepod on all platforms.